Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We are co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We are your hosts, Marlene Simi and Andy Blaker. How's it going, Andy? Hey, going pretty well. How about you? I'm doing well. I am not surprised, but it's kind of amazing that we are on the episode before the three-part season finale of season four already. I know it. Yeah. This one is called Relief Bartender. It was written by Miriam Trogdon, directed by James Burroughs, and it aired on March 27th, 1986. And so the log line here is, after reading that another former Red Sox player is having success and fame with a new bar, Sam decides to become the manager slash host of Cheers and hire another bartender to replace him behind the bar. When Sam's schemes do not produce the volume of new business that he anticipated, Sam has to make a decision on whom to fire. The new bartender, Ken, who is a nice young man with a young family, or Woody. Meanwhile, Fraser critiques and then joins a caribou lodge. <laughs> <laughs> I like that because it's not a huge part of the episode, not at all. really. It's but, just a very... but it's true. It does happen. <laughs> it is. It does. Blink and a... you miss it. But... <laughs> it doesn't run through the entire <laughs> show, but his, his part is in there. Yeah, yeah. it's good. So the te- the teaser, well, we'll just go through it. So Cliff comes in, he's complaining to himself. Nobody can fix his transmission. So Norm gives Cliff a recommendation for garage and says they can fix anything. Norm kind of has like deals like that, I feel like. He'll know mm-hmm. a person that can do something or do something cheaply or fix anything, you know? Yeah. So Woody says, when Norm says they can fix anything, Woody says his toaster isn't working and could they fix that? So this back and forth with Norm like laughing and saying, only if you have one in your car, they're auto mechanics. And Woody says that the toaster's in the back seat right now. And so Norm is going to select his words more carefully. He tries to explain that the mechanics can fix only those things that originally came with the car. And Woody says that his toaster did come with the car. It was part of... <laughs> <laughs> so he's being very literal, I think, in the wording here. Um, and just he has that, like, that bright look on his face, that smile, you know, kind of permanent, permanent smile-looking face. Like, the toaster mm-hmm. did come with the car. Yeah. So this is part of a promotional campaign. I think he said if he'd bought a convertible, he would have gotten a food processor or something like that. <laughs> and then Norm gives up. He gives Woody the name of the auto shop and then tells him to ask for Luis. He doesn't speak English. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Because, you know, it seems like something Woody would go for, a promotional deal with appliances. Yeah. That just sounds like a very Woody thing to do. It does. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because it kind of ties into the money um, discussion at the end of the episode, too, that he's gotten this free toaster out of the deal. He made a deal for a toaster, you know. Mm -hmm. He came with the car. Um. I think it's, I think Woody, Woody and Norm really make this. I mean, Cliff's a part of it too, but I just think that their back and forth makes this pretty fun. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So we start, this is, I guess this is the Frasier part of the episode. Starts at the beginning. So Frasier orders a whiskey neat and Diane asks why he's there. She thought he had a date and Frasier says he did have a date, but when he showed up, she was in the middle of a shower. It's a bridal shower. So he's made this date two months in advance. Um, Diane pats him on the back. So Diane and Frazier are sort of at an interesting place, too. She's more, I think, it's more sympathy that they're showing for each other in these last couple episodes than the animosity that they've previously had. 
you know, she seems to be feeling badly for him and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so Frazier, again, down on his luck, drinking a little bit. Sam comes in. He's had a weekend in the mountains with this date whom he kisses goodbye. Um, and what was it? It was something like it rained all weekend, so it was great because, of course, they had to stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> so Diane is angry, and she explains to Sam that last week, she says, we were at Passion's Portal. <laughs> <laughs> And then Passion's Portal. Passion's Portal. Mm. That just sounds like some sort of possible, like a Harlequin romance novel of some sort. A place only Diane goes. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Standing on the threshold of a new and excitingly textured relationship. Mm, Indeed. So they're going to open the door on a brand new beginning. So this is just rife with these sorts of, you know, metaphors and so forth imagery portal threshold opening the door right and so sam picks up on this and he says that he knocked at the door but nobody was home so he went to the mountains with the girl next door (laughs) um which she doesn't like so he's trying to figure out that even because they're not together diane does not want him to go out with anyone else and he talks about how it's just physical he's honing that his skills for that magical night when you and i Hit the sheets running, I think is what he says. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. she says, you and I will couple when a thousand ice ages have come and gone. <laughs> That's their drama for the episode. It kind of gets it out of the way early, which I appreciated in this one. Right, exactly. Exactly. Get it done in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. It's out of the way. Kind of like the um, fallout from the last episode and now it's finished. Mm-hmm. Right. And Cliff comes in. He's complaining again. He says, so this is, I guess, his part in the episode. He comes in and talks about things that aren't working well. This paper boy is not getting the paper onto the porch. And he says, Cliff, Cliff says he's going to disguise himself. He's basically going to disguise himself as a rhododendron bush. And Cliff says that um, the paper boy is smart, but I'm a little bit smarter. Or he said he's smart. That's what he said. He's smart, but I'm a little bit smarter. And Carla asks Cliff if he's talking about the paper boy or the rhododendron bush. <laughs> Which is a good comeback. I don't really, it didn't seem like that story went anywhere, though, with Cliff. I wasn't sure if we were going to go from, you know, like he's coming in, like, this is wrong with the car, and then this is wrong with the paper boy. But I think that's the last mm-hmm. we got of that. Yeah, it doesn't really continue past this point, does it? No. No, no I don't think so. Because at this point, uh, Sam calls all of his employees into his office. Nobody moves. And then on the third time, he asks, Carla says, they didn't hear the magic word, which isn't please, but rather money. So Carl says they all want a dollar. And so he immediately agrees. He hands out dollars as employees head into the office. And then Norm joins the line. <laughs> Sam's accountant. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I love how um, he just appears at the end of that line, right? Yeah. Just like shows up. Just steps up like, I'm here. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminded me of the uh, scene a couple episodes back with um, Diane's, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name, but the uh, the pilot that she dated in Europe that comes back. Oh, right. In, um, Fear is my Jack. co-pilot. Yes. Jack. Yes, Jack. Reminded me of that scene where he stands up, Jack's lifting everybody up, giving them a big old bear hug embrace, lift them mm-hmm. off their feet. And then Norm's just there like a little boy, like arms outstretched they, with a yeah. little grin yes. in his face, like, I'm next, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I loved it. So Sam points out a newspaper headline. He says it really got him going. And 
one of them says like grown man lives in refrigerator and sam's like no and then he gets involved in the headline and chuckles with norman cliff <laughs> he's like he's got a tv in there <laughs> uh-huh. i like how they got involved and sucked into that that was funny yeah that's good and then diane interrupts <laughs> ask what the meeting's about so it's the grand opening of another sports pub and Sam says that the owner, Don, was at the Red Sox briefly, whereas Sam was there for five years. So now Dan is a celebrity, and Sam says he has to pay his employees to talk to him. So, you know, Sam is not a, a tough employer, of course. He's paying his employees no. to talk to him. He's, you know, a bit of a pushover. Um, Carla, <laughs> Carla is slouched on the sofa, and she tells Sam, Sam, tells Sam he's going to be paying him a lot more unless the conversation gets exciting. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love how she's sitting, and then she just says that threatens him mm-hmm. yeah she clearly has the upper hand and then sam asks what cheers is missing so woody says a mechanical bull and i i like that he's explaining <laughs> to woody that it's one of those questions you ask and you don't want an answer mm-hmm. and woody's like oh you mean rhetorical and he looks to diane he looks to diane like is that the right word and she's like you know enthusiastically nodding oh yeah she nods at sam like yeah that's the right word that's he's right oh sam okay oh she looks at okay because i thought woody just said it and then sam looks over that's funny Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so sam has this scheme he's going to come out from behind the bar and be a full-time manager slash host and carla and diane i noticed look very skeptical from the get-go and you know sam talks about how he's recognized on the street and Diane has this line about so is a fire hydrant, which isn't like <laughs> hysterical in itself. But Carla laughs at Diane's joke, which is kind of a rarity. You know, <laughs> right. they had a little camaraderie in this episode that they usually don't have, which I sort of liked. Yeah. Um, so Sam talks about how he'll get more business. He's going to handle publicity and quality control and bookings and on and on. You know, so it's already a far-fetched idea. Um, and what, Sam asks what they think and what he asks if this is another rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Sam says he's going to hire another full-time bartender. And Norm really, he gives his dollars worth here, saying that Sam can't afford himself as a full-time host slash manager. You know, he's got sense. And Sam says as a manager, he's going to think of new schemes to bring in business. And as the host, he's going to be charming and people will bring in more friends. And Norm says he's skeptical, but his thirst for beer overwhelms his concern for his business venture. <laughs> which I think is the story of Norm. Like, again, like Norm has common sense you know yeah and can think but he would really just rather go and have a beer mm-hmm. he has his limits you know he has his needs mm-hmm. <laughs> right he's not going to push it he's absolutely yeah. correct and he could be a really good financial advisor but he's just not going to push it he's just going to go and enjoy right. life you know at the bar yep. Yep. um i liked that little scene in the office with them yeah the sam and the you know he calls them his employees which he rarely does but i, I like that mm-hmm. little just all all of them in there together with that round robin conversation I enjoyed. It really, you know, what is funny because it almost makes you, when, when he calls him back the scene before, he's like, I need all my employees in here and nobody moves and everything. It, mm-hmm. it made me think, okay, now wait a minute. Who is the employees? Because, you know, you have so many of the regulars. You're like, wait a second. This is a business. Who, who, who you mm-hmm. know, receives a paycheck from him? Yeah. So it was funny because, you know, you don't, nobody is treated really like an employee. They just have their roles and they do their job. They just do it. Right. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting to like pull it back and realize, oh yeah, it's a business and there are people that are employees here and, and yet they kind of run the show. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. There's some interesting things like that about business in this episode too, and sort of seeing how it changes briefly from what it was um, as we go forward. Because right now, Sam, he's pretty much at the next point micromanaging all of them. 
right. including his new bartender, Ken. He's telling him, what was it like about polishing your shoes? And turns out they're tennis shoes, you know. Um, and then a bit later on, he's going through and telling, what is it? He tells Carla there's a somebody, somebody wants a drink at a table, and he tells Diane to do something, and they're pretty fed up with it after a point. <laughs> yeah. But he t- says that he booked the Fraternal Order of the Caribou. Then Diane is wary. Carla is excited. And for the same reason that Diane is wary, Carla is excited about having all these men put them, you know, drinking and putting their hands all over them. And <laughs> Sam says they're sending over a whole herd of caribou, and he's arranged mm-hmm. this, like, outlandishly large spread of seafood. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like quite the, quite the pretty penny, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then this couple walks in. There's something, I think it's later when the caribou come, the first caribou comes in, and Sam is like, gets his finger caught in one of the crab legs. Do uh-huh. you remember that? Yes, he does. <laughs> He's yeah, like, let go of me, you little devil. <laughs> <Just> yeah. <laughs> well, I love that so much. But that was great. But at this point, the couple walks in, and Sam obnoxiously greets them. He's talking about how, what is it, like, you might have seen me at Fenway or something like that. And the woman's just like, make him go away, you know. So She's not having it. She's not having it. Diane and Carla are tired of, you know, being micromanaged. Diane makes a comment about, like, she'll buy the bullets if Carla pulls the trigger, and Carla says that shooting is too quick. She yeah. wants Sam to suffer, so Diane wants Sam, Diane to date him again. And, mm-hmm. you know. um, and Diane speaks to Sam about the situation not working, how they have fewer customers when they started the new system, and he hasn't come up with a single idea to increase business. He talks about how, he, again, like how he's booked a whole lodge, this whole caribou lodge. And then meanwhile, Diane's talking to Woody about the new bartender, and Woody says that Ken might be intimidating working with him, a man of Woody's experience, and he looks over and Ken is juggling lemons and he like spears one on a knife on his way down like <laughs> he's entertaining these customers. Yeah. Plotting. Um, so the leader of the Caribou Lodge comes in, meets Sam, and then basically calls in the herd and Sam goes over and talks to, like, doesn't he say like gather round employees? So again, like with the addressing them as employees thing mm-hmm. somehow hard they're going to be working they're going to put cheers on the map and all of this and when they put their heads down on the pillow they're going to be so proud and so forth um which this is so this is a note that i had on this whole business thing because it's to me it's a shift you know obviously with sam bossing them around rather than like you said they're just kind of they are doing their thing and they happen to be the employees but that's you know it doesn't operate you don't think about it necessarily being a business and it also made me think about businesses that expect employees to accept pride in the business as essentially as compensation for their work. It's <laughs> a good point. Which is not how Cheers yeah. usually operates, but there are, I mean, you know, there are businesses <laughs> all over the place that I think try to build that sense of loyalty to the company. And mm-hmm. it's like, but you are supposed to compensate people when they have to work harder. Um, I don't know. That just it made me think about that at that point. Obviously, yeah, like, if, had there been a whole herd that showed up, they would have made more money in tips and so forth. But this whole, like, we're going to put cheers on the map, you know. So I think it goes also to the part later on with Woody. It's like, if, of course Woody would want to come back after Sam let him go. You know, that kind of thing, like the loyalty aspect, like being loyal to a business. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it made me, this part and then that part at the end made me think about that. But it doesn't really matter now because there are only three caribou. That comment. It's <laughs> right. Yeah. And so Diane has this great comment about Cheers is, you know, now on the map with a population of three caribou and one jackass. 
<laughs> I like that. Yeah. Because he says, what, they just got their charter last week or something? Right. So they're, they're a new group they're that's new, building up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they have that stunning spread of seafood for these three right. caribou members. <laughs> so and these members are kind of picking from the smorgasbord. And Frazier is commenting on them and as they're doing this. And he's like, aren't people like that sad, huddled together? And he says they're totally lacking confidence in their own individuality and incapable of original thought. And then he says, and this is one of my favorite lines in all of tears. You know, as Dr. Bennett Ludlow once said, I will speak no thought but mine own. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Mm. This is the perfect irony of that. He says it and then he just kind of walks away. But I just, I love that. I will speak no thought but mine. The quote, I will speak no thought but mine own. Right. To quote his mentor. I love that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on original thought. Whoever put that joke in there? I mean, it could have been the, you know, the credited writer of the episode, but that's a that's a good one right there. <laughs> oh yeah. It's those great lines like we always talk about that they just kind of slip in and, mm-hmm. you know, they don't stand out in the sense that they may not get the huge laughs, they may not be a center point of the episode, but you can go back and find them and that's the that's the fun part. Right. You know? Right. Sam admits that things aren't going as well as he had hoped, and he says it'll be okay, um, which made me think again that Sam, like, for better and for worse, seems to think always that things are fine, and he has a hard time acknowledging when something is wrong, I think. Like, he kind of hangs on a little long, mm-hmm. you know. Right. It's a very consistent character trait, and this is kind of a little, a little too much, probably, psychological analysis, but I wonder, too, if it goes with his alcoholism. It's like, no, 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 it's not a problem. Everything's fine. You know, I think that that's kind of how he was in those, that one episode when we saw that he was drinking again. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, it's just, it's kind of, it's who he is, but it made me think about that. But he says the herd, you know, the herd of three is going to tell their friends and they're going to spread the word to their friends. And at this point, one of the elk or caribou rather ask if there's any other food because he's allergic to shellfish. And so now Norm steps in to talk to Sam and he says he has three guys in bad suits and enough food to cater the crusades. Yeah. Which I thought was another good line. <laughs> in fact, I remember that line about catering the crusades. I think I remember that from like way back watching it when I was younger as well. Oh, do you? Saying that. Yeah. And yes, once yeah. in a while I'll come across something and it's like, oh yeah, I remember that That's all this funny. time. <laughs> Probably used it <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. the years too, catering the crusades. Right. So Carla says that Hula Night was a success compared to this. Which makes me think that that might be something they had tried, you know, one of Sam's other unsuccessful ideas they've tried during this week that he's been doing this, you know. But we didn't see that. We only saw the Caribou Lodge, not Hula Night. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cliff thinks that the waitresses should be wearing skinny outfits. And she says, Carla says that she doesn't want people looking at something she's ashamed of. She's talking about Diane, though, not herself. And Cliff quote, or he basically is, you know, Supposedly quoting research saying that topless waitresses can deliver drinks faster than their clothes counterparts. <laughs> so like, there's a study on that. And Carla says Cliff that this is this is his way of trying to cop a look at her tutors. Yeah, her tutors. <laughs> <laughs> there's something about the way Carla says that it makes it even funnier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam goes into his office to think some more, and Diane follows him and tells him the situation isn't working. You know, she's pretty, like, level-headed with him. He says he's driving Carla and her crazy, and that if he keeps it up, he's going to bankrupt the bar. Mm -hmm. He says he'll think of something, 
and she's and this is a good setup too. I think she says that she doesn't know what, and Sam says, "Well, that's because you don't have my brain." And Diane says, "Like, well, whoever has it should return it." Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I liked that banter between them. I thought that that was really. That's the type of thing I enjoy, you know, and it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's a little spiky on her part, but it's well-intended overall. Definitely. Yeah. So they have this discussion about Sam, you know, understanding that he has to go back behind the bar, but he doesn't want to fire Ken. He's going to do it quickly. So Diane goes to get Ken, but he's headed that way anyway, it seems like. And he brings in this wholesome family, you know, his wife and two children. It turns out his his wife is pregnant. Um and at some point, the, his wife leaves to go meet everybody else, and the children sit on Sam's lap. Mm-hmm. And, and then Sam announces that he's giving Ken a raise because he just can't be the bearer <laughs> of the bad news. Yeah, like, exactly. Sam is a, yeah, he's kind of a, you know, he wimps out of that kind of confrontation. And he means yeah. well, but yeah, he just can't do it. So Ken leaves to introduce his wife at that point. And then the little girl, it's a little girl, I think, that says they want to stay with Uncle Sam. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then they all, did you notice they look skeptical of Diane even at that point? They're kind of giving her the eye. <laughs> They're giving her the side eye majorly. Yeah, mm-hmm. throughout the whole scene. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at the end, the little boy is like, I don't like her. I don't like her. Yeah. Sam says, try dating her or something. <laughs> yeah. They have this discussion about if, you know, firing, he says he can't fire Woody, but talk about like if maybe if they explain the situation to him, then Woody would understand and he would volunteer to leave. This is what they decide to do. And I think that this is interesting in the sense that it's the first real threat of a character leaving the show. You know, like we lost Coach, but that wasn't really a threat of him leaving. It's just the actor right. Nicholas Colasanto died. Mm-hmm. But this one, I don't know, like Woody's been around enough that, you know, we're attached to him and he seems like he's part of the Cheers family, but it's still early in his tenure on the show. So it's. You know, he's still in his first season, so I would think, like, it could seem like he really is going to be leaving the show at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. It, they set it up as pretty believable, mm-hmm. you know. In a way, though, it's almost like they're, I don't know, that how this whole scene set with me because they're kind right. of, I don't know, almost taking advantage of Woody's good-naturedness, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, here's a guy who has a family with a kid on the way and... You know, oh, he'll do the right thing because he's a good guy, you know, which is which is probably true. He is a good guy and he probably would do the right thing. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't I, That kind of sat wrong with me, you know, like, oh, we're just going to easily dismiss him. Right. It didn't seem the most believable moment right there that they would actually do that for with him. I agree. I agree with that. I think uh, with that and really with this entire this part of the story to me seems kind of manufactured. Um, as a, you know, just a plot device, which is fine, but it just doesn't seem to really match the characters as well as it could have, or be as natural as some other, you know, some other choice in the narrative could be, I guess. I don't know exactly how to explain how I feel about it, but yeah, it's almost like Diane comes with, comes up with this idea like, oh, well, if you explain it to Woody, he might volunteer to leave. Like, oh, well, great. That's a good solution. You know, it, it does seem... Not cavalier, but it's almost accepted like way too quickly. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. And they had this little exchange about Diane telling Sam he looks natural with a babe on each knee. <laughs> Sam tells him he's she's seen babes on his lap before. <laughs> kind of inappropriate, but <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right in front of these kids, the children, right. <laughs> so yeah, after the little boy says he doesn't like Diane, Sam says try dating her. Woody comes in. 
Um, and Sam is trying to showcase Ken's two kids um, mm-hmm. to him. And, you know, admits the scheme hasn't worked, scheme of coming out from behind the bar. And what he says, like, well, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> I really like his honest assessments because he doesn't mean to be mean, but he's mm-hmm. just... You know, says it like it is sometimes. Right, right. But Woody's, you know, says he's happy to have Sam back behind the bar. Like, that seems to be what matters most, you know. And Sam is explaining that he can't afford three bartenders and he has to fire either Woody or Ken, the father of these two kids and so forth. And then asks if Woody gets what he's saying. And Woody just says it flat out no. And the little boy is like, I do, I do. <laughs> Yeah. That was so cute. That, that was scene cute. there. He's like, I know exactly what's going on. Yeah, right. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So Woody realizes that Sam is firing him, and this it turns dramatic pretty quickly. And what's otherwise like to this point, like to this until this office scene, it's a somewhat farcical episode. I would say even up to the point of Ken coming in with the kids and he's like, his two kids, it's like, oh, there's a third one on the way or whatever it is. They say like, even that is a little bit comical, you know, mm-hmm. something out mm-hmm. of a farce. But then it really does kind of turn into a character drama at this point. You know, and Woody talks about how it was a job that was too good to keep. Yeah, I thought it was a job that was too good to keep forever. But he understands. And Sam says he'll help Woody find a new job. And if Kim ever leaves, Woody will be the first in line. Which made me wonder, like, why can't Sam just help Ken find another job? If <laughs> he's going to mm-hmm. help Woody find another job. I don't know. It just, right. it just seemed fraught with, like, dramatic holes. Yeah, I agree. I will say I thought Woody Harrelson did a great, a really a great job through this and that final scene, just with the emotions mm-hmm. of that character. Even though I don't think it's completely authentic the way they got to that part, I think that he really acted it very well yeah in a way it almost you almost don't expect it from him right you think maybe oh he'll go a little easier he'll you know be easily swayed back and then he really Mm -hmm. does stand his ground and lets it be known that you know he's not just something that can be you know jerked around or whatever and right um, i like that yeah and that he had these strong feelings about it as well it wasn't like oh you hurt my feelings a little Mm -hmm. bit it was just like you've really manipulated me in this way yeah yeah and at this point, we go back to like more of what I think is more farcical, because Ken comes in and he tells Sam he's been offered a job that pays more at the Harvard Club. Someone at the bar liked his style and has hired him. You know, So of course, like that's going to be the end point of that story. Like I feel like that's pretty, maybe not predictable, but that's kind of a typical way for a story like that to go. So now mm-hmm. we're kind of like, it's almost like it's back on board with this you know, kind of comic narrative that they've had going. And so Sam runs out to catch Woody. And I think the best part of this is that Sam runs across the bar in the background, but in the foreground, Frazier is taking the oath to join the Caribou Lodge and he's swearing to uphold the bylaws of the lodge and defend uh-huh. the integrity of the herd. Just, <laughs> I love how they frame this scene. He just Sam's too. rushing out of the office. There's it's just right in front of there. Sam's just like stopped by like, oh, you know, what's this? And and just continues mm-hmm. on with the scene. I really liked how they just made that how they inserted that in there. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's in passing, but it's in the foreground, kind of in the foreground. And you see Sam kind of like looking up from the background, you know, to see what's going on mm-hmm. and then continuing. I like that a lot too. I like the way they did that. Right. So Sam is pretty casual about this. He's like, oh, you don't have to leave. You know, he's relieved. And Woody is not casual. And, you know, like you said, he's has this sense of he can't just come back. Yeah. And so tell Sammy fired him from a job that means more to him than anything in the world. And he can't just come back. It's almost like the meaningfulness of it is preventing him from just casually coming back, which I think is a unique 
but genuine emotional response. I just don't think it's the obvious response, but I think it really makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that Sam yeah. wants him to come back just because Ken wants to leave. And, but then when Sam asks what he can do to change his mind, Woody asks for a hundred dollar a month raise. And then Woody, he's gonna walk out when Sam balks at it. So I said that like in my notes, it's like I really I do like Woody standing up for himself. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And I think it also it once again like makes me question this idea of loyalty to a business, even though they are like a family, like genuinely so. Right. It's it's still his livelihood, so he's going to stand up for himself. Yeah, exactly. Wants to be compensated. Yeah. yeah. And I noticed during this that Diane is kind of smiling at the bar, you know, as Woody is going through this with Sam. And Sam says that Woody's a tough negotiator. And then we have this whole scene of him talking about <laughs> how the Boyd family is not too sharp at this entire laundry list of subjects. He goes to math and science and politics and medicine and world affairs and, and he forgets what they're talking about. <laughs> Sam says machinery. He's like, oh, no. And talks about, you know, another relative that lost his body part in a, some kind of contraption. Something was an arm. <laughs> and he's like, no, we were talking about money. And then Sam tries to sort of, you know, hornswoggle Woody into thinking it was $50. And he's like, no, it was 100 And then he's like, well, that's too steep. I'm going to settle for 30 a week. <laughs> <laughs> and... Yep. And Sam's like, you got it. Diane, you can see Diane like openly smiling at this point. Mm-hmm. And Sam thinks he's so great. It's host slash manager extraordinaire. And that is the end. But I thought too, just to add this, I thought it was interesting that, because Woody comes in, he has you know all of his effects just in that little shoebox, but he puts it on the bar. And as he's telling Sam he'll settle for $30 a week, Woody is opening Sam's office door and walking in rather than going immediately back behind the bar. So it's, I don't know, it's almost like he's gotten the upper hand. <laughs> it's a good so, point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Which made me like that ending a lot. Mm-hmm. This was a fun episode. Mm-hmm. This was a fun episode. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on it as it, thinking back, you know, as we're nearing the end of the season, if it's one that I necessarily think stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's another case, yet again, of of of, you know, a bunch of different, individual moments that I enjoy as compared yes. to the to the entirety of the whole. Yeah, I agree with you. I kind of think the same thing. I think that there's a the ch- the tone changes in the episode in a way that I don't think completely works. Mhm. I don't think it's completely like natural, you know, cuz it does go from being like the whole thing is comical. I mean, it's the entire there's not nothing really serious about it. It's like Sam decides he's going to be the manager rather than the bartender. And here is all the comical fallout of that. And then you have these people from the Caribou Lodge and all of this, you know. But then you had like hit this part in the office with Sam and Diane deciding that maybe Woody could go, which is surprising. And then Woody's emotion is very gen- It's just, I feel like that's a lot. And then they yeah. go back to it being more somewhat farcical with Ken. Like, oh, now I got another job. It's like, okay, we're back on this, you know, yes. comedy train. Yeah. The oh. themes are all over the place, I think, because, you know, you do start off thinking, oh, okay, Sam is upset because his business is not taking off like this one guy's, and so he feels like, right. oh, I need to do more, and then he tries to do more, and then that whole thread is kind of completely abandoned when mm-hmm. he's like, okay, well, here's what I'm doing, it's not working, and it just becomes for laughs, and then at the end, when it does kind of get into the whole farce idea. So it does seem like they just had so many themes, and they couldn't settle on which one to carry through to the end. Yeah, I think that's entirely right because 
I like I also mentioned here like this uh, there's other Red Sox player and Sam talks about how he's famous now and he was only with the Red Sox for you know what do you say like a cup of coffee instead yeah. of the five years I believe that Sam says he was there or something like that this other guy has three bars so there is that aspect of his kind of you know fame and business and so forth that's dropped once we get into how poorly the scheme is going and and yeah yeah and then yeah it's it's just thematically and emotionally I think it's all over the place as well yeah I do think there's a lot to like but like you said I think it's the individual aspects of it like I think Woody's savviness with money at the end is probably at the top of my list Mm -hmm. that was very enjoyable great that I really like in him and um and then Frazier commenting on and then joining the caribou herd I really like that as a little inclusion (laughs) yeah um but yeah overall like just yeah as an episode in itself I wouldn't say that it's one that really like stands out as just a, a great story through and through, but it has a lot of little things to like. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a pretty fair summary of it. That will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a cheers podcast and on Twitter at cheers underscore norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, overcast and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We're co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We are your hosts, Marlene Simi and Andy Blaker. How are you doing tonight, Andy? I'm good. How about you, Marlene? I'm doing pretty well. We are at the end of season four. Got the trilogy three-parter to end the season. And we're starting with Strange Bedfellows Part 1. This was written by David Angel, directed by James Burroughs, and it aired on May 1st, 1986. And the logline, very short and sweet, is that Sam dates a woman running for re-election to city council, and Diane decides to campaign for the opposing candidate, with Frazier joining her. So we start with the teaser, and just to kind of like give a little preview of all three of these episodes, I think all of the teasers are... I, I think they're like well suited to the episode. It's, I think it's only the second one that really has anything to do with like the primary content of the episode. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think they're all like their own little story, you know. So yeah, they're very they're, self-contained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely, it'll be interesting to kind of compare and contrast them at the end. So in this one, Woody is arm wrestling this kind of you know friendly tough guy customer. And Carla notes that Woody has lost again, tells him to challenge the guy to Italian arm wrestling instead next time. So Woody doesn't know what this is. I mean, it just sounds going into it like she's pulling his leg, you know. <laughs> yeah. So Carla shows him, just Woody hold his arm in kind of an arm wrestling position right in front of his face and then tells him she's going to pull as hard as she can and he should resist her with all his strength. So he goes for it and she pulls his hand for a few seconds <laughs> and then lets go. I can almost just see it as I'm saying this. And Woody knocks himself in the head. And he looks very dazed, but he also is delighted. He's announcing that he beat Carla and that he's not even Italian.
Right. And she just rolls right. her eyes and kind of shakes her head. <laughs> it's that look on his face, though, that I thought was so amusing. Right, right. This was a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much, uh, very much something you'd expect from him, I think. I think it is, too. And I like that Carla plays this trick on him, and it really doesn't work because he never realizes that, that he's been tricked, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so, which kind of gets to, I mean, this will be this is shooting way ahead, but just Woody in all three of these episodes, I think, he kind of takes the upper hand by not understanding what's going on sometimes. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting yeah. to, to discuss. But when we start, we start with Fraser, which overall I think is interesting. Fraser is sitting at the bar, um, complaining about women, and <laughs> it just makes me think this is like Fraser's midlife crisis part thirty-two. You know, it's just like it's, <laughs> right. it's just gone on and on and on the whole season. This season has been all about <laughs> his kind of bitter misery, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says it's the one-year anniversary of Diane leaving him at the altar. And so he is, it's just kind of a, you know, his therapeutic process is what this reminds me of. He's designed this for himself because he says that to repress his bitterness would be detrimental to his recovery. And so he's going to spew out venom and exorcise the blonde demon that haunts my soul. That's what he says. So the guys are like, well, good luck and kind of walk away from him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we start the whole thing with Fraser, and it kind of continues through, and then he ends up, as we will see, not being in the third episode, but I thought it was interesting that this you know, begins with him. And at this point, an attractive uh, woman, woman walks by, and Cliff makes a comment that he wouldn't kick her out of bed for eating crackers. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I don't even know if you can think about what that would be like. And Norm asked why else she would be there. Um, I love that line. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, Cliff laughs, but he tells Norma, leading women's magazine showed that postmen are the most desired lovers after. And then Norm completes the rest of his sentence. He's like, rock mm-hmm. stars and heart surgeons. Um, I really like this conversation that they get into here. I thought this was great, like banter back and forth. Finishing each other's sentences almost mm-hmm. while Norm finishing his. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because Cliff is starting to tell Norm what they say down at the P.O., you know, and Norm, he's just sitting there, and he's still just reading the newspaper the whole time. He's like, postman deliver daily, and he even kind of adds the emphatic hand gesture, mm-hmm. you know. And then, yeah, Norm says that they've had, because Cliff's like, have we had the conversation before? And Norm says they've had every conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he delivers that line, too. Just, you know, like, bored, kind of amused, you know, mm-hmm. just like, this is just, he, he goes through this crap all the time. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And Cliff said that part, says, Cliff says when people start finishing each other's sentences there and Norm finishes spending way too much time together. Yep. And yep. then, um... <laughs> And then it, but it transfers over because Cliff asks Woody for another beer and asks him if he heard the one about the, and then Woody is already laughing. And he says like, Shepherd the parrot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I really enjoyed that. I thought that that was these little conversations that are peppered in, you know, amidst the, the main story are great. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so next we have this bit, this little comedy bit at the door of everyone coming in with their dates. And Diane comes in with her date. First of all, Fraser kind of grumbles when she comes in with a date. And then Sam comes in with his dates, and they're all introducing mm-hmm. each other. Um, wh- did you have any, any thoughts on this part? 
Well, well first it was, Frazier says, what was it? Oh, here's a kitten with a whip. Is that <laughs> what, what right. he says about yes. her? Yeah, kitten with a whip. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they're just, they, they just start showing one another up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they are comparing the kinds of cars, how much gas mileage each car gets, right. the the quality of their meals and the lean meats. And it's just, <laughs> the burger, it's just escalating. Yeah. 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 And then, it was, it was fun to watch. I mean, it was just utterly ridiculous, but it was fun to watch just how immature the two of them got. Oh yeah. With, yeah. With each other. And then the kissing back and forth mm-hmm. too. Like, I think Diane shook her date's hand and Sam kisses his date. So then Diane kisses in her date and back. And then they're yep. like all making out at the door after uh-huh. a while. Yep. Yeah. And Carla is appalled. I think she just. I feel like she speaks for the audience yes. at that line. She's like, what a putrid display. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. And so then after that, after that start, a man with this campaign button comes in and asks if Sam is the owner. And he is Phil Schumacher, the campaign manager for Janet Eldridge. And this actor is somebody that's been in a ton of stuff. Pretty much is that kind of supporting presence as far as I know. Did you have anything about him? I sure do. I'm, uh, we have several good uh, guest stars in these episodes, mm-hmm. so I have some IMDb goodness for them. Uh, right. So this was Phil Schumacher, played by actor David Paymer. Uh, as you said, very familiar face. He's been in a lot of different roles. I mean, pretty much any 1980s sitcom or drama you can think of, he probably was in. He had a recurring role on Cagney and Lacey. Um, and I think a couple reunion TV films they did. He was in, he's been in a lot of different like political-ish films and TV shows. He was in um, The American President, Nixon, um, more recent guest turns, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, The Good Wife. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of those, he has a very familiar face because he's really been in so many things, mostly in one-off roles. But mm-hmm. um Yeah. Very recognizable guy. Yeah. And I really liked him. He, he seems well-suited for that kind of PR political guy. You know, that yes. seems like that's a type that he was born to play. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He fits in very naturally as her campaign manager and then I guess her, you know, assistant of some sort later on for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So he asks if Janet can come in and meet people and answer questions and so forth. And Sam is excited to be a stop on the campaign trail. And Diane is, you know, lecturing him on how he's politically naive and he thinks that, or she, sorry, she thinks that Janet Eldridge is an old money conservative and, you know, mm-hmm. Diane is just mm-hmm. aghast that Janet supports big business over her, the social programs that she favors and so forth. So Diane's already unhappy that Janet is coming by before even seeing her. So it's funny because Diane is just such a, I remember noting in my notes how, how, almost jaded she is already like she'd almost lived through the 90s and 2000s of politics you know (laughs) we're only in the mid 80s here but she's very you know um calls her a political opportunist Uh and everything and you know diane's kind of the more classically i guess liberal you would say in terms of social programs that she favors and things like that but Mm -hmm. um i enjoyed how they kind of teased that out this episode yeah i do too you know her her kind of who she ends up supporting versus this um this woman, Janet, and everything. Yeah. And the differences in I, the politics, but the personalities, too, I think, are right. fairly striking. Right. 
Janet comes in, and Janet is played by Kate Mulgrew. So we are on to our, our next fairly prominent guest actor. Mm-hmm. We are. Kate Mulgrew, best known probably to most people as um, Captain Catherine Janeway on Star Trek Voyager. That was 1995 mm-hmm. to 2001. That was certainly the role that I knew her most for. I've not even really seen the show, but just she has a very recognizable face, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's been in a lot of different things. Probably her second best known role, maybe more more so to some uh, people, is Orange is the New Black, which is a show on Netflix that, mm-hmm. that was real popular. I think it's over now, but she was a main cast member on that throughout the run. She actually was a lead on Mrs. Columbo, which was a spinoff of Columbo, I think. Mm-hmm. Um uh, 79 to 80, so it would have been just before this. And then she was a lead on a popular daytime soap opera called Ryan's Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, and she was on there from 1975 to 1989. So like 14 hmm. years now. Yeah. That may not have been consecutive, but I mean, there were like 400 episodes in there. So yeah. <laughs> um, she's been in a lot of different things. She's actually reprised her Star Trek character more recently. And um, mm-hmm. they have some Star Trek spinoffs, I think. I'm not real familiar on that. But she's uh, very much still active with that franchise and probably best known for that. So mm-hmm. Yeah, great. And kind of an interesting actress, too, I think. Mm-hmm. So she comes in. Sam immediately finds her attractive. And Janet has a confrontation with Carla right off the bat, telling Carla that she um, hopes she can count on her, her needs her vote, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. What did you make of this little exchange between <laughs> the two? It was kind of odd. Like it was, it was like Carla just kind of. You got the feeling that Carla's been through this kind of this kind of thing before, and you know Carla's not one for BS, right? right. She's just you know going to cut right through it and smell right through it. But on the other hand, Janet really plays it off very well. As Diane remarks, mm-hmm. she's very smooth. But I I kind of thought the whole I I watched it a couple times because I thought it's just very odd to me like how Carla responds what her responses and answers are to Janet's questions about how she needs her vote and Carla immediately dumps on herself as you know hey you got everything I don't got I can't mm-hmm. help you you know it was right. just kind of like okay <laughs> that wasn't really what she was asking for but all right you know. right and Carla immediately mentions that she needs a man but she's just like you don't see me going around bars begging for one <laughs> <laughs> As though she's too good for that sort of behavior. Right. Know the truth. <laughs> right. After all yeah. that, she's too good for that. Like, why are you behaving this way? Right. Yeah. And then Janet says, like, I give. I know when I'm overmatched. So, and Carla seems to, you know, I don't know that she likes her, but she at least, I think, respects the way that she responds to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I noticed, too, just, you know, in keeping with one of our, our Cheers viewing hobbies, that older blonde lady is watching all of this from behind yeah. the table behind them. <laughs> there she is. I love our sightings of her. She's always there. She is. She's there every night. All of the action. She sees it, <laughs> smiles. Yeah. Yeah. So Phil, campaign manager Phil, introduces Janet to Sam. And Janet knows his nickname, Mayday, and says she's a big fan, thinks he's wonderful and all of this. Um she seems like somebody, I mean, she just kind of has that vibe of somebody that would be into sports if she had time to still be into sports, I guess. And I don't know if that mm-hmm. is the character or just like, Kate Mulgrew, like what it is about her, but she seems like someone that would know baseball. And like, she's not just making up that she knows who he is. At least mm-hmm. that's the sense that I got going into it. 
That's a good point. She seems very, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way at all, but very almost masculine in the sense mm-hmm. of a very, like, you know, very straightforward. Maybe that's not the best word to use, but, you know, very straightforward, very, like, you know, a firm handshake, just like, yes. you know, maybe very quick to adapt to the people that she's around. You know, she can mm-hmm. read someone and kind of fit herself to be someone that they would respond to, if that makes any sense. That does make sense. Which I guess is the hallmark of a good politician, or at least what, you know, we stereotypically think of as a good politician. Right. But, um, that's one thing I thought throughout all three of these episodes was, you know, she she very much has that presence of someone who is like a like a natural born politician in terms mm-hmm. of how they talk, how they, you know, interact with people and things like that. Yeah, I, could, I, I agree with you. I think there is something and I, I don't mean this derogatorily either. I think there is something masculine about her and that I could see her because of her profession, but also maybe fitting because of how she would fit into her profession, I could see her being more comfortable in the company of men and maybe not having that many women friends, mm-hmm. which I think we see, you know, in her, I mean, her interaction with Diane is fraught with a lot of other things, but I also just don't think that she would ever, she does not strike me as someone that would be like one of the girls, like she would probably be one of the guys more right, naturally. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. She has that, that's kind of the vibe that I think she gives off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but when she says that Sam is wonderful, Sam says it's mutual. He also thinks he's wonderful. <laughs> and Janet is amused by this, which is, of course, a good sign if you're going to be in any sort of interaction with Sam <laughs> to find his ego amusing. Right. Yeah. Right. And then Norm over there observing at the bar notes that there's an attraction between Sam and the counselor. So he calls her. So <laughs> Norm's already you know picking up on the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> he's like trying to just stoke that fire mm-hmm. right he's just like oh look what's going on yeah oh yeah <laughs> right this is gonna be worth seeing i'm gonna yeah diane says that watching she calls her that woman work this room um and really at this point she's talking about that woman working the room and <laughs> janet is only just shaking hands and chatting to people like you would expect i don't see her doing right. anything that's you know, I mean, it's political, but it's, I don't know. It's not like just glad handing and kissing babies. She's just meeting people. What else is she going to do, you know? Right, um, right. But when she s- says, like, that woman worked this room, it's brought her to a decision. And then Sam says, you've decided to work it too for a change? <laughs> Which I thought was a great response. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Diane takes some good hits and the comments in this, uh, in these episodes, I think. Definitely. So this is when she announces that she's going to campaign for Janet Eldridge's opponent, James Fleener. Um, So she's, you know, politically and personally and all of that, I think, going to be driven to the opposite side. And Frazier walks out from the back when Diane says this and announces that he would like to campaign for James Fleener (laughs) as well and calls him the finest man to enter public life in the last decade. Mm -hmm. And Diane's just beaming. And then when Diane walks away, he says, who the hell is James Fleener? Part of me was confused. Maybe I just missed something. Why he agreed so mm-hmm. readily. Was it was it just to spend time with Diane? Was it just to kind of get in her, her good graces? Which, again, you know, five minutes earlier, we, he didn't seem to care anything about that. So I was a little confused by why he jumped on that without even knowing who we were talking about. I don't know that he knows the motivation. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you because I don't know what I think yeah. either. I guess I assumed off the bat when Giant Diane is so enthusiastic and passionate about this 
really, I mean, I don't, you know, you don't know if it's just the politics, kind of doubt that it is at this point, but she's so passionate about it that Frazier is just immediately taken in, and I assume it is to be doing something with her. Because he's so back and forth, really, in the first two episodes, you know, he's grumbling, and what was it that makes the kitten with a whip comment, and all of these negative things, and then he's completely on board with campaigning, and then he gets, you know, grumpy about the sort of mundane tasks and you know it's he's so all over the place I mean it makes sense in terms of his I guess like his emotions maybe but I I don't think that it makes reasonable sense necessarily right no I agree with that he is all over the place kind of impulsive yeah yeah so Woody notes that Janet Eldridge is pretty and he says, back home in Indiana, everybody on the town council has paunch and smokes big, smelly cigars. <laughs> <laughs> and Norm asks, don't you have any women on the town council? And Woody just says, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Them too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, I'm just kidding. I'm sure I'll say this many times. I re- really, I like what Woody contributes to these episodes. As somebody that's in no way involved in the drama, um, I, I really think that he just is a great, not even just comic relief, but he just adds a lot to them. And that makes yeah. me happy. Yeah. He's really grown into his own over the last two seasons, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he just really, well, no, no, just one season, hasn't it? It's just season right. four he started right. in. Yeah. So um, it, it's been a year, and um, he's really just become an integral part of, of the show and, mm-hmm. and added so much in those little interactions. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So Norm asks, again, he's just kind of stoking the situation, asks if Sam is going to ask Janet out. They banter around about this. And then that's when Cliff says that politics makes strange bedfellows. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's our episode title. (laughs) Yeah, Cliff, that's his contribution, I think. It's the episode title. (laughs) Um, And then Norm and Carlos kind of goad Sam. They're suggesting that Janet might be out of his league. We get to the point of her, Janet, that is, having her first press conference at the bar. And she's taking questions from reporters. And then Cliff jumps in with a postal question about increasing leash laws to include life imprisonment for canine offenders. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought Janet handled this pretty well. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, supporting our overworked and underpaid postal carriers, but she thinks that maybe what his suggestion was a bit too much, you know. But she handled Cliff well because that can go either way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Cliff is thrilled. He says he's going to deliver to her the postal vote. <laughs> we have some rapid fire comebacks here. I just yeah. loved it. Carla is like the VIP of this scene here because mm-hmm. to that, you know, we'll I'll deliver you the postal vote. She says, "Too bad it'll be to the wrong address." <laughs> that was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the next part, Diane announces that she has a question. And Janet asked Diane if she works there. <laughs> and Carla just like pops up right from behind her, right on cue. And, and kind of like with a frown, how come no one ever knows that? You know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that there's so many layers to that. I think you could, you could open up. I really enjoyed that line. Yes. I thought that, that was, was great fantastic. too. Nobody ever knows. <laughs> well, and it also goes back to Sam's line when he, you know, he's like, you decided to work it too. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. How come nobody ever knows that? But you're right, Diane gets so many hits in these episodes. It's mm-hmm. so funny. Yeah. And Diane says that, yes, she's a waitress and she's proud of it. And she kind of pauses, like, in a work ethic kind of way. 
And I noticed like Carla behind Diane is making faces as she's talking. Yeah, she's like rolling her eyes and like, uh huh, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Diane asked this rather accusatory question about Janet being out of touch. This reminds me of some of our media today. <laughs> she's like, don't you think that you're out? Of, you know, I mean, it just goes into the negative right off the bat. Oh yeah, all these negative leading questions. You know, right? Do you like, expect? Oh, I'm going to share. I'm going to tell you what how you're perceived by me, and you better respond to it. Yeah, it's exactly what happens today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you expect this little stroll to make up for four years of neglect? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Janet probably does not see it that way. <laughs> right. Um, and I assume that Diane's calling her out of touch because she doesn't agree with her politics. But Janet answers it fairly smoothly and she says she doesn't get out to visit with people often because she's always working it's a good mm-hmm. answer like they they did a good job making her into i think a, a solid political character mm-hmm. yeah. i have a question for you though mm-hmm. on this and maybe this is i don't know my own you know naivete or whatever but um so she's on the city county council running for re-election mm-hmm. and she's you know we find out in the coming episode she's going to the governor's mansion she's you know hobnobbing with everybody and and all these very high profile people and i i kept going back to the idea that okay city county council especially for a place like boston which is such a huge city i i don't know if 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 realistically she would be in this this high profile kind of thing that this episode seems to suggest i don't know if you had any thoughts on that versus like if she were running for the mayor of boston governor or something you know it's city county council from where i am which again is the midwest not a big city i get that but it's not that high profile thing that this episode seemed to suggest at least in my opinion i i had some thoughts on that that i mentioned later with um the where is it? This oh, the scene with the when they're talking about the limousine, mm. and the TV that's in the limousine, and like Woody and Norman Cliff are so excited about this and so forth, you know. And I was like, right. would a politician that like, at that level really be going in to a limo, going yeah. to like, regularly going to the governor's mansion and going to all of these events, these high society events, like in a, in a limousine? Because I yeah. I would doubt that as well. It does seem like something that. It, not even a mayor, like maybe a governor would would do. Right. It just seemed a, a bit elevated for mm-hmm. for realistically what it was, which I, I get is not not the point. But right, that was something that kind of occurred to me throughout all these episodes because you know she's kind of cast in this light of you know this high profile position. Everyone becomes obsessed with following this great romance, and I'm thinking, right, if, city county council. I mean, I couldn't even <laughs> tell you who who ours are. I mean, it's not. Right. It is not the same level as a national thing. Mm-hmm. But, um. Yeah, right. No, I agree with you, and I think it's interesting. Too, because I don't know, I mean, I don't know how much money they have or make, and perhaps she had some other business or industry as well or before that, but the whole scene was like the limousine and the TV and how kind of like the common people are so, you know, excited about that, these things that she has and kind of fawning over it. It's like, mm-hmm. wouldn't she just be making money off of like, you know, or her salary would be paid by taxes, wouldn't it? I don't know. Just, <laughs> right. I just, right. it doesn't seem like there would be that wide a gulf between her in that role, at least, and then just like your regular citizen, right? But yeah, but I don't know. I mean, the, the way that she answers the questions at the press conferences suggests that she has some like pretty strong decision making capabilities, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, it's a good, it's a very good question though. <laughs> Sam asks about whether or not she likes Chinese food and if she's ever eaten it in a bathtub. 
I don't think you could be more forward if you tried. No, no. In Without that kind being of lewd, avenue. you cannot be right. No, right. No. Chinese food kind of is a recurring theme for Sam throughout the series. I know that's not the point here, but I think it's interesting that when he brings up food, it's or when food is brought up about him, it's usually Chinese food. He views it as an aphrodisiac, I he think. He probably does. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. He always brings it up in that context. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he flat out asks her to dinner Thursday night in front of everybody, you know, at the press conference, which is bold. Um, yeah. But Janet says she has to decline. The campaign keeps her very busy. And when she leaves, Diane is insulting Sam for getting shot down by Janet. And then Phil comes back and gives her Janet's private number and a request to call her. And then we have this little campaign-ish interlude. Mm-hmm. And everybody starts cheering, Sammy, Sammy. Diane tries to interject with Fleener. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, and Frazier's like half-heartedly going along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because we will see James Fleener in a few minutes. And I would, I, mean, I don't want to be rude about him but he does not seem the type of person <laughs> for whom people would ch- do a sports chant he seems like the kind who would discourage it yeah you know who he seems like you know who he really seems like he seems like bernie sanders like a, a little you know like through a, and through a less energetic bernie sanders a less energetic bernie. <laughs> but just in terms of you know he's got the glasses he's kind of got that nerdy kind of old man look yeah and, yeah, that's who it always reminded me that's of. That's interesting. But. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Carla, which makes me very excited for that scene with <laughs> the headquarters coming up. But in the meantime, Carla hounds Diane about Sam going out with Council Eldridge, the governor's mansion. This is the limousine part. Yeah. Carla talks about how they're not going in a limo, they're going in a limousine. <laughs> and. Carla inquires after Diane's plans for the evening, and she, Diane is like, well, Frazier and I, you know, she talks about how they're going canvassing for Jim Fleener, and she's trying to make it sound like it's this big evening out, and mm-hmm. then they're stuffing, or important evening, I should say, canvassing for Jim Fleener, and then they're stuffing mailers into envelopes. Yeah. <laughs> then we have Carla. <laughs> I like Carla is my MVP for this episode. She's like, well, that sounds like fun, too. <laughs> Yeah, I love her inflection. I know. I love her inflection when she says, Diane, you know, we've seen that in episodes before when she's just like on a roll with her, taunting her. And I love when she does that. Yes. I just love it. I I do too. Yeah. She's got some great things in this episode, including that. So Norm comes in and he says he was at Hurley's Market. So I'm mentioning this little bit just because the Hurley's Market part is significant for the future. Because mm-hmm. he's pretty much telling um, everybody to veer for grocery shopping and for dinner. Apparently both at Hurley's Market because Hurley's Market gives out sausage samples. Um, yes. And then he mentions that the limit apparently is 12. I, and I love how he does that because he, he just like, he turns around and like is addressing, a gen, you know, whoever's listening. Right. He's like, doesn't appear to be the cutoff number. <laughs> <laughs> to those who it, this concerns, you know, right. I love that. In case you're thinking of going there as well. I already tried it for you. They won't give you more than 12. Right. Yeah. He's kind of giving his report. Um, So Sam comes out of the office in a tuxedo and reminds Diane he's going to dinner at the governor's mansion. And then he kind of takes her aside. He asks about the ice cream stuff, (laughs) the sorbet, and whether or not he might ask for chocolate sauce with it. Right. Which 
I guess he's being genuine. I didn't know. I was like, is Sam maybe like just messing with Diane? You know, but she uh, she tells him it's wise not to, and she starts to remind him that a bowl of warm water with a slice of lemon in it. And Sam's like, I know, I know, it's a finger bowl. It's not lemon soup. <laughs> so it's kind mm-hmm. of like a, a bit of the. I mean, he does that genuinely ask Diane's advice, but it's sort of a, a chance for Diane to be superior to him. Right. And then she says that she never thought she'd see Sam so controlled by a woman. That was, because, yeah, um, look at my notes here. Um, how how she, he is at Janet's beck and call. Mm-hmm. And um, this is kind of that first um, illusion we get to Janet's somewhat arguably controlling behavior, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. The Diane is starting to either pick up on it or infer it or you know something going on there. Right. So the stand, the campaign is still going on. Fraser comes in with a box of campaign stickers, and then he's wearing a, a hat with this sticker on it. It says "Whim with Jim." <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts too. <laughs> it's also one of the best. Another good Carla part. Mm. <laughs> so Carla reads a slogan. I would say with contempt, like whim with Jim. And Diane brags, I thought it up. It's very Joycean. And then Carla says, <laughs> this is like a, a tone of glee in her voice. She's like, if that means stupid, I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh like that. I just I <laughs> thought that was the cleverest thing mm-hmm. that I've possibly ever heard. Love it. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. And Carla does not care that Diane is trying to the intellectual with her and that she Carla does not know what Joycean means she's like that means stupid <laughs> you're right you know you got it right yeah. <laughs> so Fraser mm. Fraser just looks miserable at this point and then Diane tells him to, he can start stuffing the envelopes and he says he complains about it about stuffing the envelopes and he says that the task has lost the considerable power to charm me <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Diane does like that kind of like hand clapping thing and says that they don't need quitters on the Fleener team. Oh yeah, she's just really over the top there. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on that bit? Um, no, not really. Okay. I just, I, she, yeah, it's just over the top with how she's like this cheerleader for him and everything, and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sam is on TV. They're seeing him on TV, and Woody compliments his suit. And Sam makes a comment about Janet picking it out. And Diane picks up on this and then goes to speak to Carla. And <laughs> Carla sighs and kind of rolls her eyes at Diane, just even saying her name, you know. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, oh, God. What? <laughs> so Diane is basically, it's kind of trying to um, bond with Carla over them both liking Sam. They have their differences. They both care about Sam. Diane thinks Sam might get hurt with Janet Eldridge. And then Carla's response here is interesting. And it kind of, I I would say she maintains this attitude throughout this whole series, this whole three-parter. Did you have any thoughts on that? On their conversation and then just Carla's behavior? Well, I mean, I thought it was interesting. Carla immediately kind of starts out like, almost as as sam's always his defender right you know Mm -hmm. he's just having fun he knows what he's doing he's um and then i think it slowly at least through this episode kind of dawns on her that he may be viewing this much more seriously than he's ever done before right his relationship with janet because diane says that she the janet's using him for his sports celebrity Mm -hmm. and attractiveness and then even for him being irish and 
she's afraid that Janet's going to dump him after the election. And Carla's right. whole thing is that, like, for Sam, women come and go, and he's just having fun, enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, the, her thing, I think, is, like, that's what Sam is supposed to do. You know, she's just adamant the entire time, like, this is your destiny, oh, yeah. is to just, you know, have fun with these kind of basically innocuous women. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, I mean, that's been his M.O., right, right. this time. I mean, women do very much come and go, and it's never really seemed to be a thing that's distressed him. Right. So in that in that sense, Carla is speaking very much, very accurately, I think. Yeah. And I think she starts to see in this episode that his doubts about that come in, especially in the finale episode here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting to kind of see the, the journey of that. Yeah. Right, and how Carla, I think the entire time, sort of like, no, this is who you are. You know, I think that her role in this is interesting too. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that he's, like you said, he's taking it seriously. So Janet comes in, dressed for dinner, and she goes to Sam's office to make phone calls. But Woody first, I think, addresses her as your excellence. Yes, I love that. <laughs> your excellence? Yeah. Right. And this is the part with the TV, so... She tells Woody he can go look at the TV in the limo, and then Norman Cliff, they talk about the exuberance of youth, and then they, <laughs> they tail it out of there to see the limo, the TV yeah. as well. Yeah, that was the part that I thought was interesting, to be so in awe of a politician at that level. Right. So. Oh, I want to go back real quick. Yeah. Um, you might have meant for me to include this, but you know, when Carla points out to Sam, his how great of a setup he has with Janet, right? You know, mm-hmm. he's got the parties and the limo, and she says, you're getting to do to a politician what they've been doing to us for years, mm-hmm. you know, which is a good line. Um, and Sam basically calls her out, says, you know, sometimes you have a real lousy sense of humor, and she's yeah. kind of, like, taken aback by that. Right. Um, which, again, normally, you know, she gives a line and he just laughs, and that's their, their kind of, you know, rapport and relationship. So I think that that was kind of the first realization that he feels very differently for this. It's not a laughing matter to him like it normally would be. Right. So that I, I enjoyed how they kind of framed that where he almost took her down a notch Mm -hmm. and she was visibly taken aback by how he reacted. Yeah, I did too. And because it's like she, he's pulling away from Carla and from the sort of like the bar crowd and being pulled more into Janet's circle, I would say Mm -hmm. not necessarily just socially, but in terms of like, his attitude or his, you know, allegiance of his attitude, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while Janet is in the office, Diane goes in to talk to her. And this is when she goes on about how everyone in Cheers is worried that Sam is going to get hurt. You know, the entire thing she presents as being all of them. We, <laughs> you know, and at some point she slips, I think, and says, I, or, you know, like, yeah. it makes it very yeah. obvious, which it was obvious anyway that it's Diane, <laughs> but it makes it pretty <laughs> obvious that it's just her perspective. And she talks about how she's made no secret about opposing Janet politically. And then has the thing about, like, let's retract our claws for the moment. Let's stop hissing at each other. <laughs> I really, there are a few comments that Janet has throughout these three parts that I think are funny, too. And she's like, do you have a problem with cats? Yeah, all those cat metaphors. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I thought was a, it's an odd question to ask. But I thought that that was kind of funny for her to yeah. pick up on that. Do you have a problem with cats? Yeah. Yeah. And then she talks, Diane talks about being the consensus of the opinion, which is more than just saying we. That makes it seem like she's done some research and come up with this group opinion, you know. Right. It's obviously Diane has a different motivation than what she's presenting. 
but none of it seems very factual. First of all, it's not a consensus, but also that it seems far-fetched that Janet would need to use Sam to get elected when she's the incumbent council member mm-hmm. already. So right. I don't think there's a lot of an argument there. Yeah, I agree with that. I kind of thought they, they kind of carried that through a bit longer than they needed to, mm-hmm. you know, because you see it in part two and everything right. as well. But Right, like the, Diane was concerned and Janet saying, well, like, well, you know, the election's over and we're still together and so mm-hmm. forth. But I just mm-hmm. don't think, I mean, based on her being the incumbent and she has a strong personality and as we're about to see, <laughs> their opponent doesn't seem like exactly strong competition. So I just don't see how <laughs> Dana would have to pull someone else in in order to right. be elected. And I guess depending on how you look at it, I mean, I you could argue that this is when Diane's just – her jealousy is basically taking over. You know, she's like, right. you know, she just point blank tells her you're using him to get reelected, total disregard for his feelings. I mean, she's all leveling all these accusations based on – her having met Janet, you know, once or twice, she spent right. no time with her. She's making all this sort of accusations about her. And so I think in that sense, you could see, you know, okay, this is just kind of the wheel starting of, of how jealous she is of, of how serious this seems to be going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that Janet has done the, I mean, Janet's been fairly, you know, straightforward, but Janet's not returned the animosity to Diane at this point. Right. You know, I mean, she hasn't really sought any kind of connection with her, but she's listened to her and responded to her concerns and and so forth. So I just don't I don't see her as in this episode, in the first part, I don't see Janet as being any um, I mean, she's a threat because Diane is making her into a threat. But I don't see her behavior as necessarily manipulative or anything of that sort at this point. No, me neither. Me neither. I mean, I think she's just being who she is and. Mm -hmm. The reality of her situation is that, you know, there's going to be these parties and these these things that if they're going to be dating and he's going to be going with her, there's going to be those things you have to attend to. Right. And that's just part of part of the game. So, yeah, it definitely didn't seem to warrant the reaction that that um, Diane gives it. Yeah. And, but they, or Janet in here says at some point that she admits that that's why she started seeing Sam. And I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that was necessary to include that because again, like I don't really believe that 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 was a plausible explanation of Janet's interest in him. You know, I mean, I don't think she picked him out as somebody like, oh, he'll help with my election. You right. know, so I'm not quite ex- sure exactly what she meant by that because I would have said that she was charmed by him with the Chinese food question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like this is somebody that's not part of political life, and what you know, an odd thing and kind of, I mean, maybe it was refreshing to her. I don't know, but she's probably used to dealing with a lot of, you know, whatever level of bureaucracy she deals with on the city council. And if this is, seems like this is kind of her entire life is her career. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. not a lot of discussion of things outside of that, you know? Right. Um, and so I, it seems like that would have been her interest in him. It's like, here is this attractive man that's asking me this, Granted, like mildly inappropriate question about Chinese food in the bathroom, in the bathtub, but I thought she was charmed by that. I didn't mm-hmm. know, I didn't necessarily think that she was using that situation. But anyway, it seems like that whole plot was kind of shoehorned in a little bit. Yeah, you know, we, yes. we had to foster, we had to kind of you know promote this idea of oh, you know, she's the competition. There's this this whole sense of jealousy in the air between them, and you know, mm-hmm. cat fight and all that. So. It didn't seem like it was the most 
like that was the first thing they would have gone to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it seems like some of that about the Janet using Sam, that that could have been left out. I don't know like yeah. how much of the story you would have had had there not been the jealousy because that's what the driving point with the Sam and Diane confrontations is right. going to be. But yeah, with the election, I mean, I could have just been Diane's jealousy or insecurity coming out, but I do feel like they kind of pursued it a bit too much. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and Diane talks about how she has influence with Sam and Janet says she knows and that Sam thinks a great deal of her. And mentions her often. And then she says, and I, I, I like this part. She says, Sam is a man of few words. And Diane says, well, he only knows a few. <laughs> it almost seems like they have a bonding moment, though. That's because, you thought. know, Janet starts to laugh. And it seems like, oh, hey, maybe we've turned a new leaf here. Mm -hmm. So That's what I thought, too. Because I was like, the story could have had, it could have gone very differently if at this point Diane and Janet had developed more of a rapport in spite of their differences. Right. And I think that would have been an equally interesting story. Very different, but interesting. Mm -hmm. If it was still, because Diane still would have had the, there still would have been that triangle aspect to it, you know, with the relationship. Sure. But it would have been interesting to see if Diane had Jan and Janet had kind of had, like you said, like that bonding moment and had that continued um, instead of it kind of going back when Diane comes back around and says that, that Janet didn't fool her. Because Janet gives this speech about how She's, Sam is very special, you know, her attitude towards him has changed and so forth. I thought that was interesting, too, because when she's talking about Sam having something very special, it made me wonder if it's something that, like, Diane hadn't seen in Sam or something that she thought only she appreciated. Because Diane seems a little taken aback by that as well. Yeah, that's that's true when you think about that. That's true. Yeah. I wanted to ask you if, and we kind of alluded to this, if, if at this point you think Janet is being authentic about her feelings for Sam, like when she's talking one-on-one -on -one with Diane? I would say yeah. I, I don't know. Because the whole, it doesn't seem realistic to me. Like it doesn't seem natural because she doesn't know Diane. She only knows her as sort of a hostile person. Although mm -hmm. she may be telling her this because if Sam has mentioned her and thinks highly of her, perhaps Janet is giving her the benefit of the doubt and wants to tell her, you know, re reassure her that she's not using Sam or whatever. So, mm -hmm. but, it, but it seems like too confessional to me for someone that you don't know, especially someone with Janet's personality. Like I, she doesn't seem like this open, open, you know, emotional flowery person. Um, so in that regard, it struck a false note, but I don't know that it's not genuine. So I don't yeah. know. What did you think? No, it, this was something I struggled with these whole episodes, how mm -hmm. I felt about her. When, yeah. when, when she says yeah. something, is she telling the truth? Is she being a politician about it? Where, where is she, you know, really? Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't really think I have a firm decision on that. I thought here in this scene, she was being authentic. I thought that she was being honest that, you know, she sees something in him that makes her almost, you know, schoolgirlish, as she mm -hmm. says, you know, yeah. and, and I thought that she was being real about that. I do too. I do think she was being real. I think that she, throughout all three parts, it's a, she's a difficult read because I think that she explains her feelings more than she actually is expressing feelings 
and we don't know her as a character. You know, all we know is just you know the, the more of the political side. So I think it's difficult to tell. But that was what I would say is like she talks about like I I feel this way and so forth. So you see more of that than you do her actually enacting those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say that's somewhat true in this scene. But I do I think she's genuine. I do. Yeah. But it's it's genuine in a constrained way. Like as we see at the election scene coming up, you know, she doesn't really let her feelings get in the way of what she's doing politically. And granted it's in a political space. We don't really see her not in a political space. Like that's an interesting thing I think about these episodes is like there's no sense of like the personal parts of the relationship. It's only as it involves her career, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that makes it difficult. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it's kind of a long scene in the office, like Diane going out and then she comes back, like comes back immediately and says that she was almost fooled. Like nothing's happened in the meantime to right. change her mind. Right. She just, was, all of a sudden. It kind of took me aback how mm-hmm. it's like, well, wait a minute, what changed? Why, why did you decide that you had to whip around and confront her, you know? Right. Right. And she makes a comment about how Sam will last as long as her campaign promises. Mm-hmm. Well, there's she doesn't like Janet's politics, but I'm not sure that there's any evidence given that Janet doesn't keep her campaign promises. Like I don't know. I just thought that that was. I think Diane takes those things too far. Yeah. No. Yeah. I agree with that. Again, I think we're just kind of. I think they just kind of amplify the whole. You know, she's jealous. She's jealous right. of what she sees is happening, and she starts to behave kind of recklessly, which she does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you look at it from that angle, it makes more sense, at least in terms of, hey, she's, she's kind of getting desperate, and this is, she, she isn't sure what to do in this situation. Yeah, and I kind of think that that's a warning sign to Janet as well. Like, she doesn't say that exactly, but in the next episode, when um, Sam admits that he had been dating Diane, when, even when Janet asks, I'm getting a little bit ahead, but asks about the longest relationship he's had, and he said he had a relationship for a year, and believe it or not, it was with Diane, and Janet said that made a lot of sense or explained a lot of things, I think, is what it, you know, something that she said. So I, I, it seems like she's, at this point, she's picking up that there's more going on than Diane just being someone that Sam admires. Because it seems when she was saying that, that she just took that at face value. Like, oh, he thinks very highly of her. Wasn't thinking of it as, you know, necessarily like one of the ex-girlfriends. At some point she mentions like all his ex-girlfriends that they run into <laughs> as well, which is kind of funny. Um but it seems like Diane's behavior, her kind of erratic behavior toward her, Janet here, is maybe raising some red flags, I guess. I don't know. So we end with the scene at Fleener campaign headquarters. And there's the sign, Wim with Jim, on the wall. <laughs> and then the actor, this is the first time we see uh, Jim Fleener, an actor that plays Jim Fleener, who's probably, our, I would say, our third prominent actor in the episode, or mm-hmm. you know, well-known and some different yeah. things. Yeah, so he's played by actor Max Wright, who, um, at least to me, was was best known as um, a lead on the TV series ALF. He played oh, right, the father yeah. in mm-hmm. ALF, 1986 to 1990, so would have been right after this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. That show would have premiered. He had he was also a lead on the TV series Buffalo Bill. He had guest turns on Friends. Quantum Leap, um, another very huh. recognizable um, face. He's been, right. again, character actor in many different roles. Uh, he passed away at the age of 75 in 2019. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, but definitely, I mean, I recognize him from ALF, and mm-hmm. I've only seen very little of that show. But he, you know, he's been in a lot of different, a lot of different things. Yeah, so. yeah. I, the same with me. Like, I, I didn't really watch that show either, but I do remember him being in it. And then I know I've seen him in his face and different things. And he's a kind of perfect for this character, <laughs> the way that they <laughs> put him together, at least. Don't you think the Bernie Sanders metaphor is kind of apt, though? I, I mean, really. I, yeah, because it... yeah, there's that. But I think of, I mean, and I don't know a tremendous amount. I don't pay a ton of attention to Bernie Sanders. But I mean, I, I've seen interviews and seen him and so forth. But I, I feel like Bernie Sanders is more curmudgeonly. And this guy is more yeah. like wimpy than Bernie Sanders. That's fair. There's definitely fair. like yeah. in the Venn diagrams, there is certainly overlap. <laughs> exactly. And there's probably like a little political overlap as well, I would think. <laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely seeable. <laughs> so they are watching Janet Eldridge's victory speech. And she's saying that this is a victory for all of us, you know, good politician statement, victory for everyone. And then Jim pipes up to say, well, not quite all of us. <laughs> <laughs> you feel so terrible for him here, don't you? Do, but God. He's just they, so sad. But at the same time, you just know those people dodged a bullet in not having him as their city council person. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> right, like, right. Representing, I'm like, oh, I guess we're not going to get that done. I mean... <laughs> He, yeah, I mean, like, he seems like a nice guy, but he, yeah, he just stammers that that's about it, I guess. I mean, I just can't imagine him not, being a not force or well presence. suited, exactly. Yeah, no. Not well suited for the city county council of Boston, right? <laughs> Sullen. So he thanks Diane and saying that she worked harder on the campaign than he did, or he think you know that she worked so hard, she thinks he worked, mm-hmm. or he thinks she worked harder than. And she says, and Diane's telling him, and she's like, you know, being genuine, says he does his, he did his best, and she's trying to reassure him. And Fraser comes in. <laughs> I love this part. Fraser comes in from the other room, um, wearing the whim with Jim hat, mm-hmm. and in the middle of this whole thing of Jim being sullen and Diane reassuring him and so forth, all Fraser has to say is, "Say, hey, listen, <laughs> did you know you're out of liquor?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> Let's He's, get back to the important issues yeah, here. Right. Fraser's interested in the booze. So what have you lost? Right. So on the TV, <laughs> um, they're watching. Janet is kind of edging Sam aside to introduce her campaign, campaign manager. She starts, I think, by saying something about like a man without whom this would not be possible or with, mm-hmm. without whom this, you know, whatever wouldn't have happened. Um, and so Sam, it looks like he starts to step up there, and then she kind of edges him aside and is introducing her campaign manager. And Diane says, "Ah, you know, like she's suddenly so involved in this scene yeah. going on between Janet and Sam. Um, and of course, I would say, like, of course she's going to introduce the person that ran her campaign and thank him first. You know, well, yeah. That only makes yeah. sense, I think. Um, then Janet introduces Sam and kisses him on TV, and Diane looks upset. And Jim Fleener, still kind of in his little world of hurt, <laughs> says, "With this, <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing so much about his defeat, but he says in his kind of quavering voice, that was my last chance, looked like I blew it. And then I, that's in my notes where I said the people of Boston really dodged a bullet in not electing this guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Terrible. Right. <laughs> um, there's something else for him to do in life, but that was not it. 
And then, but so he says, looks like I blew it. And Diane says to herself, me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thus ends part one. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, we talked about a lot, but I, I mean, for an episode that's pretty much like in the bar and then in the campaign headquarters, there's a lot of character work going on, I think. Yeah, there that, really is. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Carlo is the, the the humor most valuable player in this to me. Just the, the one-liners that she gets off and her comments, oh, yeah. like you said, popping up here and there. Mm -hmm. um, and then I like the way that Frasier is kind of part of the frame of the episode at the beginning and then going into to campaign for Jim Fleener and then at the end, you know. Yeah, he really does frame it, doesn't he? Yeah. He really frames the episode. Yeah, so I liked that. I thought that was well done. Yeah. Good inclusion of him. Definitely. Did you have any other things to add at this point? No, I thought it was a very strong episode. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously as we go through the three, I think we'll kind of form our opinions on how they all shape up into one coherent arc versus, yes. you know, part one, part two, part three. But um, I, I I enjoyed this. I thought they, they had great casting here. I really enjoyed the casting that they got with the actors. Um, how they kind of, they played off each other very well, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously you see a lot less of Fleener than you do the other two. Yeah, I, I, I thought this was a great, strong introduction to this arc. Yeah, I do too. Because you don't really know where the season's going to go, right? I mean, you mm -hmm. don't know what, what conclusion at this point. You know, Sam has this new hot and heavy romance. He's kind of going to be this man about town. I mean, he's on TV as though they you know, telecast all these. But, you know, like he's uh, he's <laughs> thrust into yeah. the limelight, right? And, right. and so it kind of opens the door for, okay, where's this going to go? And, you know, so mm -hmm. it, it, it feels like at this point you could go kind of anywhere with this plot and you really don't know where they're going to settle. So That's I like true. That. That's true. Because it could be about his celebrity. We've seen, you know, several episodes in the past few seasons, especially where he's trying to kind of deal with his waning celebrity. You know, so now he's with someone that is kind of a celebrity politician, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And he is part of that. So that's true. Like, it could have a number of different, different pathways. That will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening.